Oh, that's easy. I'm going to go to the cafe and get coffee and get an, I'm going to get, get enough uh, cafe Americano with steamed almond milk and a croissant. That's the first thing. <laughs> it's, it's, oh, yeah. I've already pictured it in my head when I'm parking and, you know, heading into the building. That's the first thing. <laughs> and then I'm going to go find my desk. <laughs> Welcome to an episode of Roadmap. I'm Thomas Chu, a student at Cal Berkeley and your host. Today we have Ronki with us, who is a PM at PayPal. Welcome Ronki, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, Thomas. Before we jump in, uh, can you just give us a brief introduction of yourself and how you eventually become a PM? Sure, uh, absolutely. So uh, I started, uh, once I graduated from college, um, I started working as a technical support rep. It was my first job out of college for a small company and I was supporting the desktop application. And I went from supporting the desktop application to hanging out with the developers who built it to eventually becoming one of their content developers. And then I went from being a content, uh, I was a content developer who worked with a PM, a product manager, senior PM. And then she left and then I got promoted into her role because by then I had acquired all the, I was self-thought and I, I basically watched her and looked at how she did her job. And then I was able to move into that role. Uh, and that's sort of how I started my journey in product management. Um, I've worked mostly in financial industry. Uh, I've worked on B2B apps, on B2B platforms and B2C platforms. I've worked on bankruptcy filing applications. Um, I've worked on, I've worked on large enterprises, uh, large enterprise platforms, which is what I do right now for, uh, on the PayPal side. And then of course, uh, I've worked on platforms for B2B and B2C where I'm supporting not just investor, um, uh, institutional investors. So I've had the, in my career, I have had the, I've had the privilege really of just being able to work in different parts of the FinTech. So. Awesome, awesome. Uh, can you just tell us more about the transition from the technical side to, you know, when, when the previous employee left the job? Yeah, I, I imagine that was a, that kind of caught you off guard, right? Oh, it did. So it did. So I went from, you know, being a technical support person where I helped people install print drivers or helped them to figure out why their forms weren't printing or why their bankruptcy filing information wasn't showing up properly or why they couldn't electronically file it. And I just, uh, I loved it. So I used to report all those bugs um, back then to the development team. And so the development team looked to me as somebody who they could go to and I could easily help them troubleshoot a problem if they were having it. And I sort of just started hanging out with them and, just, and it kind of started out that way. And then there was an open position uh, where they needed somebody to just do content as in take all the bankruptcy forms and plot out, plot all the fields that need to go in it. It was in Microsoft, it was in SQL. And, um, and so I, you know, so I, I jumped at the opportunity and from there I started working with the PM the PM, she showed me how she did her job, which was, she would call the bankruptcy court around the country. She would verify information such as are these forms new? And also there were so many variations to them. California central was different from California Eastern, which was different from uh, California Northern. I mean, and then California Northern was different from, you know, San Jose versus San Francisco. So it was, it was so cool. I loved doing it. I was just like a sponge. I just couldn't wait. To, under, to get everything out of her head, you know, so that I can understand how she did her job so well. Um, so what traits do you think that, you know, make the, the manager pick you instead of hiring someone new from, you know, from other places? Uh, I would say bis uh, business rules, knowledge. I knew, um, I, I took the time to understand every single jurisdiction. I was like a sponge. I, took, I could tell him how many jurisdictions were in the U.S. I could tell him how many bankruptcy judges were in California Central. I could tell him how many United States, uh, how many Chapter 7 trustees were in each district, in each division. I could literally zero down to that level. I knew every competitor. I knew what the competitors had. I knew what made them good. I knew why, the, why a certain competitor was better than another one and what features and functionality they had. I mean, I was just a sponge. I, I lived and breathed it every day. So it's because I had those business rules, even though I wasn't, um, I didn't graduate from college with a, with a computer science degree, he still, I, he still picked me for the role because those business rules were really important at that time. So is there any way that you kind of showcase your knowledge of the industry 
um, why are you at this technical support role? Because like sometimes like people don't get the chance to kind of show off, you know? Oh, absolutely. For me, I, I think it was one of those things where I always say I was at the right place at the right time. So because the bankruptcy attorneys I was talking to, right? they had real world scenarios going on. They were in a situation where, for instance, if a electronic filing didn't go through, they were, and it was crunch time at five o'clock in the evening, it was because they were trying to save somebody's house from being foreclosed on the next day. It was because they were trying to stop a wage from being garnished. So you can kind of, you, there was a sense of anxiety, like, oh my God, I need to help my client. And then, so that kind of gave me the empathy, right? Because I kind of understood, oh my God, this is somebody's real life being impacted here. And so you tend to understand what, what their world is, what the stresses of their job is, and why they need to file this particular case and if something wasn't working do i step in and call the bankruptcy court for them to figure out what's going on and who do i talk to so like some of those bankruptcy attorney would say to me oh you need to go talk to this trustee and here's their number and tell them you're calling from blah 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 and i do and i would actually call them to figure out what was going on so that by the time i went back to the product manager and the technical support team i had all the answers ready to go for them Awesome, awesome. That, that, that's great. Um, so can, can you tell me more about your transition from this smaller company into PayPal? Like, how did you get into that role? Oh, it was a long road. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really long road. Um, so, I, so I went from being a technical support person to being a content person to just you know, where I did all just bankruptcy forms to being the product manager for that product to um, then I decided to move to the headquarters of the company that I worked for, and I decided I was tired of bankruptcy, so I moved into, a, uh, it's called a web producer role, where I just helped build e-commerce websites uh, for this employer. And, and then I did that, but then a smaller company that I had worked with in my, in, while I was doing bankruptcy stuff, they decided that they wanted to build their own bankruptcy filing application. So they, they, so they came to recruit me. Um, so I went over there to go do that. Um, it was pretty cool. I had a, uh, it was a startup. I had an opportunity to help build something from scratch. Um, so that was great. And then I went from there to um, working for the largest bankruptcy filing provider in the U.S. Um, again, because of the, my industry knowledge and things like that. So I did that. And then I went from there to um, helping investment managers manage their funds. So they, would, they had a CRM tool that they would use to manage their funds. So let's say, for instance, Thomas, I met you at a party and I thought you wanted to invest in a fund. I would give you my business card. And then there's a CRM tool that I would use to manage that relationship. But for you, Thomas, you needed a tool to log into, a platform to log into, to see how your funds were performing. And that's where I came in. I was managing that B2C uh, platform where uh, data was being pushed from the CRM tool into that portal so that you can kind of see how your funds were performing. So I always say I went from rich, I went from poor to really rich. <laughs> <laughs> right? I went from poor to really rich and then now I'm kind of back to, you know, to the merchant world and large enterprise uh, for PayPal. So now I've sort of moved into the world of merchant uh, for PayPal where I help to, I help large enterprises manage and grow their business so can you share more about like what's your day-to-day -day life look like and what are some projects that you're kind of working on or thinking about doing um so i can't really say a lot yeah. <laughs> okay um, but i would say that my so I've gone from being a day-to-day -day PM that executed into now more of a strategic lead. So now I've moved, I moved away from the day-to-day, uh, -day, right, of writing stories and things like that. Now I'm more looking at the end-to-end. -end. So as we build different platforms, are we approaching it from a platform point of view, right? To make sure that we're building, for, you know, we're not just building for the segment that we're working on, but we're building for future segments as well, right? Because um, you don't want to keep rebuilding for every single segment, right? You sort of want to have that long range plan. And then, and, but looking at it strategically right now, like, okay, so if we do this segment, what we're building for this, how does it impact this coming set, this segment that we're going to work on? But then looking at every single touch point, every single touch point that the customer uh, will need, are we covering every single piece of it? So I've sort of moved into more of a strategic role and I don't have a scrum team. Uh, I have a core, I have a three in a box that I work with because uh, you need design and engineer. And then, uh, um, other uh, younger PMs that I work with as well. What's the communication with the engineers like? Because I, I imagine you, you mentioned you don't have a computer science degree, but like I'm not sure how technical 
you are, but um, for some folks, for a lot of students, maybe like, you know, previous consultant or business major, they, you know, they find it, you know, they're scared a little bit to, to kind of, you know, talk to engineers. So like, um, what, what, what's it like? So uh, first and foremost, uh, if you if you ever talk to anybody that knows me, they'll tell you that I bribed engineers with donuts and bagels and cupcakes. <laughs> and that is very true. Um, <laughs> I, no. um, so I am not um, the most technical person. Uh, I don't even I don't I don't believe I don't believe that I should tell engineers what to do and how to build. I believe they should be creative in doing that. But what I will do is, especially even if I just moved into a new org or something like that, I would ask for the Confluence page where the diagram is of the different systems and how they're all interrelated. I would go try to learn that myself and then come back and ask questions, right? So that I can then kind of understand their language, right? During stand-up, I can understand what they mean by this, you know, this service or that service. Um, I find that that's been helpful for me. Um, and then the other thing is I like to keep things simple. <laughs> so I keep it simple, meaning, and I'll offer, and I'll talk through this later on when we talk about advice. I like to make sure the, my box is with me in everything I do. I, I don't believe I should be a PM that comes back to the engineer, to my tech lead, or comes back to my design lead to give them requirements. They should be with me in every conversation, not just with the customer, but with the cross-functional teams as well, so that we're all hearing the same things. Because I'm wearing my PM hat, I'm gonna ask PM questions. The tech lead gets to ask tech lead questions and engineering questions because they have to build that model. And the designer is looking at how do I build, you know, how do I take care of my customer? How do I give them what they need? So, and of course, he or she's gonna be asking questions relevant to their world. So that's how I approach that. I, I move with my three in a box. Everywhere I go, they go. Uh, I don't have discussions without them and I don't make decisions without my three in a box and that's helped me throughout my career. Um, so you mentioned that you're moving towards a role that's more st strategic. Um, so can you, you know, this might be a more advanced topic for aspiring product managers, but um, what are some ways that, you know, you think that helped you to climb that ladder within a corporation? So I think because I executed well with all my projects, um, I, I it was leadership then was kind of looked at, was able to look at me and go, yeah, she, she can help us with this, right? Um, because that's it. I, I executed every single one of my projects. And also I made sure that all my projects got released, right? One of my big, one of my biggest concerns as a PM when I had a scrum team and I had like a, plat, a portfolio I was building for was to make sure, because we're spending millions of dollars, right? <laughs> if you think about resources, right? Uh, to make sure that I'm, and also I'm solving the right customer problem, right? And I'm not just, I'm not, and I'm not giving projects to the Scrum team that are just, you know, things to keep them pacified, but there were really cool things that we were building. Even though some of them were foundational, we, we, we built really great things that, that helped our customers to manage and grow their business. And I tell the story, and that's another thing too we'll talk about in, in the later segment, but telling the story, getting the buy-in of the engineering team, uh, I find that doing those things and, and getting them to understand the, the goal, the business, I mean, the customer value, the business objectives and uh, the business value and also how it ties to the overall, you know, strategic goals of the organization helps with the engineering team. And so I was in a situation where I was executing, executing, executing. Everything I built went out the door and it served a purpose and there was revenue attached to it. That we met all our metrics, that it was easier for me to move into this new role of being strategic and kind of focusing on the larger picture. You know, there's a dilemma where like as an entry level, you know, PM, you're kind of, you can't really decide what to do. And, you know, you're pre pretty much taking requirements from above, right? Um, so, you know, did you portray a super cool story for your team or what, what did you do to make them excited and do the project um so i even the most boring thing such as even the most boring thing even it's foundation work i tell stories i'm a storyteller i tell story about how uh the other thing i do to get the engineering team really excited i bring them into the room with customer interviews right so that they can understand the stresses of, of, the, of what the customer is feeling. They can feel the empathy, right? And then when I, by the time I bring them requirements, they can go, oh yeah, 
we had that meeting with that customer. So to give an example, um, before COVID, um, there was, I used to bring customers into the office. I worked for an a small organization where uh, in that city, I would invite customers in that city to come to our office. And we, we had a really cool office, our headquarters. We had ping pong tables and you name it. And I would take them on a tour of the customer on a tour, right? So imagine a customer, right? Leaving their, day, leaving their office and coming to visit us. And, and I would take them on a tour of the building and I would introduce them to the CEO if he was there. I would introduce them to other people in leadership. Then I would put them into a conference room and I would bring in lunch and I would introduce them to the scrum team. Now imagine you're a customer and this platform that you use every single day, you're meeting the five, six, seven, eight developers who build it. Right. And then I would also bring in the, my design lead. I would, my tech lead was there. My product marketing partner was was always with me as well. And we would just have lunch and we would do and I would just have the platform up on the screen. And we did what we call a day in the life. And I would just get to know them. I would ask them a simple question. You guys were looking at other features. I mean, other vendors. Why did you pick us? And they would tell us what made us stand out. So imagine hearing that as an engineer, what made your product stand out, that this customer picked you. I would ask how many people worked in their firm? What, you know, what, what are the roles? How did they use the platform? And they would tell us. I would ask them, what are the tools do they use, right? Because I wanna try to figure out if we can you know, be proactive and build other tools. And then I would ask them, what are the top five features that if we added today to the platform, how would it make their day? How would it change their, the way they work? And they would tell us. They would say, if you add this, then I don't have to do this, and I don't have to do this, and this will save me this amount of time, right? Then, and we would then take them to the back where the engineer's seat, and they could see where we all sat together. And I did this a couple of times, and then eventually some of the other engineers started asking their product managers for the same thing. Because Guess what? It changed the perspective of my scrum of that scrum team because they got transformed. They were aligned. They had empathy. They could feel the customer's pain. And so when I brought them requirements, even if the most boring foundational things, they had a face. They knew the customer. They knew why this was important. I didn't even have to say those things. And so during so when we would go over items that we were building for new, when we go over new, uh, new, a new functionality, a new feature, they would then say to me, oh yeah, Ronky, do you remember so-and-so mentioned blah, 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 blah. Here's how we think we can fix that. Here's how we think we can address that. So now they were engaged and also I had their buy-in. So it wasn't just me going back to them and communicating requirements, right? And yeah, so that's how I, I, would, I did those things. But again, that was pre-COVID. I know we're in post-COVID times, I still think you can do a day in the life virtually with a customer. And the other thing why I recommend PMs do this, it changes the customer. The customer knows you care, right? Then the customer, when you then show them an experience when you're gonna build a new feature or address a bug that they're having, they are invested and they will help you understand whether or not you're solving the right problem or not. But the customer becomes your advocate now. They become your ally, and then they recommend your product to other people. Before we, we you know, move to where is the second part, um, you, know, how's, you mentioned COVID. How's, how's everything like working remotely right now? Uh, I'm, okay, so I'm one of those people that I need, I need the whiteboard. I miss the whiteboard. I miss getting into a conference room with you know my tech lead and my design lead and, and putting things on the board i miss the in-person collaboration right and i miss networking i think that's one thing that has not served us well is um the network the human contact right where you can kind of because i i really do believe that even though um your cross-functional team as you work with them you're networking because you never i, I I, till today, I cannot tell you how many cross-functional teams end up recommending me for a job in their, org, in their part of the org, right? They, they, they'll say to me, hey, Ronky, we have this position open. We think you'd be great for it. And it's just because of networking. It's because of working with them. And so every, every cross-functional team that a PM works with, you're building friendship, right? <laughs> so you're building trust. And so those people then look at you and they go, oh, my God, you're, you're really great at your job. Let me recommend you for this role in my org. So those things I, I miss out on. But mostly I just miss having coffee with people. <laughs> so. 
That's great. Uh, would you say that made you know the COVID situation made you more productive or less productive? Oh, no, I'm more productive. Um, I'm still I'm still productive as I was in the office. I'm just more. I miss my coworkers. I miss. There's only so much you can accomplish on Zoom, right? There's only so much, and also you're not you know you. You, it's very hard to have workshops. That's the thing, right? It's very hard to take yourself away from your desk <laughs> and be focused and be and let go and be focused on that one thing and, and really engage in a workshop. Those are the things that I miss. Oh, and also I miss our building cafeteria. I miss Pokey Thursday and Fridays. So, <laughs> so you yeah. know. Here's a fun question for you. Um, what's the first thing that you're gonna do when when you get back to the office? Oh, that's easy. I'm gonna go <laughs> to the cafe and get coffee and get an. I'm gonna get get enough uh, cafe americano with steamed almond milk and a croissant. That's the first thing. <laughs> That's very specific. <laughs> oh yeah, I've already pictured it in my head when I'm parking and you know heading into the building. That's the first thing. <laughs> and then I'm gonna go find my desk. <laughs> Ideally, I should go find my desk first, but I'm pretty sure I'm gonna get coffee and a and a croissant first. Great. So uh, moving into the second part of the episode. Um, just kind of, you know, relating back to the first part.、Um, would you say, looking back at your career path, would you say you got lucky、um, moving, you know, getting this, you know, different positions in different companies, or would you say you're kind of like this learning machine and kind of, you know, you see an opportunity and you pull the trigger? I'm an overachiever. I've always been an overachiever. So when I move from job, from position to position, or move to a new company, one of the things I do is I learn, I learn, I learn, and I'm like a sponge. I want to know everything about that business. I want to know every single business rule. I want to be the person, the subject matter expert, and I think that's what served me well in my career、uh, so far. Is I always want to be the person that you know anyone can say, oh yeah, Ronky knows. Go ask Ronky. Ronky will know the answer to that. So I want to say that has served me well since the beginning of my career.、Um, you know, especially coming from technical support to then becoming a content manager <laughs> to then becoming a product manager, and and then after that,、uh, I want to say yeah, that's that's it. I just I want to know everything. I want to know how an invest how an investment manager works, what the day is. I want to know how a large enterprise Manages their account and why and what they do. I yeah, I'm just a sponge. So I say that served me well, and I would say that that's one thing that some、um, aspiring PMs should is you should know your product, you should know your business. And is there any intrinsic passion or drive for you personally? Because sometimes you know when you know you're just out of college, you got into this big company, and you're like, should I talk or not? <laughs> you know, you're kind of struggling.、Um, so how did you find that voice within、uh, an organization? Oh, that's a really great question. I didn't use my voice, and that's one of my career advice I would offer today: is use your voice, use it early on. I. I made the mistake of not using my voice sometimes, and、uh, there are situations where, if I had used my voice, I felt like I would have made a difference.、Uh, and there were some situations where I did use my voice, but it wasn't strong enough, and and it didn't, and it you know it didn't make a difference. So,、um, so what I mean by that is,、uh, to give an example, I worked for an organization where they、um, didn't do any business, any market research. They didn't do any research at all. <laughs> They were building for ten percent of the market, and I knew that was wrong.、Uh, and I did. I used my voice, and I did, you know, bring it to people's attention. But it was not. It was constantly shut down. Right. So that's one advice. One feedback I would give. One advice is, use your voice. Right. Especially if you know things aren't going well. And if that organization doesn't want to hear your voice, then you have some decisions to make, right? As to whether or not you want to stay there, or whether or not you want to, you know, look for something else. And everybody's different, and everybody will make their own decisions there. But that's one lesson that I learned、um, early on in my career: the importance of using my voice as a product manager is so important. So important because you're advocating for the customer. You know, you're going, you're, you're coming from a technical support and then a content person and then now a PM, right?、Um, you know, a lot of students, especially the ones coming from, you know, like Harvard, MIT, Stanford, Berkeley, you know, they they can't really cope with this idea of being a not that important role. Uh, at a company, you know, they they have that pride, right?、Um, so, is there any advice or techniques that you used? Um, to cope with this situation, 
I think being a product manager is humbling, right? It's a humbling job. You can't build anything by yourself. You need to bring a whole team with you. So for me, what has served me well is I build a coalition, right? I'm a transformational leader. I don't have all the answers. I don't want to have all the answers. I want to, I, I like to be in rooms with people who who want to engage in a discussion, right? And, and debate, um, you know, whether or not we should do this or not do this, or how should we address the technical debt? So uh, that was for me early on. I was more or less that PM that didn't have the answers. I don't want to have all the answers, but I gauge everybody. And I checked my ego at the door. Um, because I always just believe that eventually I'm going to be a rock star PM and eventually I'll find my path and I'll become like Steve Jobs. <laughs> you know, at least that was my, that was my plan early on. <laughs> um, and we all want to be that, right? We all want to be the rock star PM. And I think, but you can't build everything, but you can't build things by yourself. So you have to bring people with you, which means you need to lead, which means you need to build people and products as a PM. And if you start with that early on, then you become that PM that everybody wants to work with. That PM that the leadership looks at and says, oh, this project? Oh, absolutely. That person can handle it. And here's why. I've heard great things about them. So I give you an example when I mean by build people and products. Um, you, as a PM, you're working with a, your Scrum team. You're working with other parts of the organizations, other cross-functional teams that would need to help properly build parts of your product for you to launch, right? They have their own roadmap. They have their own concerns, right? And you need to get them to add your product into their roadmap, right? <laughs> so you communicate, you communicate early. Your Scrum team has stuck, same thing. For me, my Scrum team became my community. They became my family. I was really close to them. You build relationships with all these people, right? You for instance, um, your Scrum team, I had weekly lunches with my, with my Scrum team every Wednesday at 12 noon. It was on our calendars. We all had lunch together. We got to know each other. Um, with my cross-functional teams, I had coffee with my counterpart, the product manager. I had coffee with that person at least once a week so that not only do we get to know each other, but they know what's coming down in my roadmap and they can kind of start planning, right? So it's not a surprise to them. And when we are facing difficulty, or the scrum team is working extra hard, I put personalized thank you notes on everybody's desk to say thank you. I know you're getting paid for this, but I thank you when you've taken the time to work overtime and do all these things. I do the same thing with my, with my cross-functional team. When we do launch, or when we just do a share out with leadership and we show the experience of what we're gonna build and why it's important, I always have a slide where I thank where I list everybody that's working on this project and all their, and all their part that they're doing, because I appreciate it. So, and there are times when, as a PM, you will not get a promotion. It's somebody else in another team that you helped get a promotion, and that's okay. You have to put them first. You sort of put everybody else first before you, and because that's, people will see your work, and they will, and you get to advocate for yourself, but you sort of put everybody else first. And that's why I see you build people and you build products. And if you build people, do you know what happens? You have a bunch of motivated individuals who are ready to help bring your product vision to life. And they want to work with you over and over again because they know you care about them. They know that you're going to send a note to their boss about what a great job they're doing. Right? They know that you're going to, if they're looking for promotion, they know that they can count on you to be a recommendation, to recommend them, right? So that's my advice, is you sort of, you have to check your ego at the door. <laughs> you, not all of us are gonna be Steve Jobs right out of college <laughs> or grad school, and you have to figure out if you want to be that person that everybody wants to work with, everybody wants to, you know, that, that you wanna figure out, do you wanna be a PM that builds people and products? And I always put people first, by the way, because if you have people who wanna work with you, Oh, the sky's the limit. There's a lot of misunderstanding about the role, you know, product manager <laughs> out there. Um, so, so what kind of person um, that is just not going to be a good fit for this role? If you are ego-driven and it's all about you, not going to be a good fit. It's just, this is not, this is a humbling job. Because if you succeed, you succeed because there's a bunch of people <laughs> that yeah that helped get you there 
um, you are the epicenter and you're, and you're making sure that all these different pieces and things are going well. You have to make sure that you can communicate tactically with the engineering team. You also, and I don't believe this is super important, I think you also should know, strate the, the scrum team should know strategically why you're doing, why you're making the decisions you're making tactically, because you want them to own part of that decision, right? You want them to feel involved and be included. Um, yeah, you can't, a PM role is not for someone who's really thinking about themselves and how they're gonna get ahead. It's a we job, it's a, and I always use, again, I go back to humbling, right? It's so humbling. Uh, you, you're bringing, you're having a, you're working with a bunch of people and trying to bring them along to build this product vision. Great, awesome. So, so now we're moving towards the more specific questions. Um, is there any tips or tricks that, you know, you would recommend uh, for someone that is going through or about to go through the um, recruiting process? I think every PM should have a superpower. Every single PM should have one. For me, I thrive in finding insights beyond the side of others. Meaning, there will be days I will get a no. <laughs> and I do get those no's. And it has served me well in my professional life and in my personal life. I, um, I came to the US when I was 11 years old. I moved from Nigeria to the US. I went to college in the US, I went to high school and, and college in the US, and I work, for I work for PayPal. I mean, I get to build cool products. And I didn't get there by just taking a no every time I got one, right? Personally, professionally, as a PM, it served me well. Every time I get a no, every time someone tells me they can't do something, I said, okay, no problem. I go back and I try to figure out other ways to do it. If it means having my uh, Scrum team you know, source their code, then that's what we'll do. Right, and making sure that I have the buy-in of the Scrum team. If it means that we, you know, and I try to negotiate. That's the other thing is um, leading by authority. I try, <laughs> I try to lead with uh, lead without authority. Right. I try to make deals with other PMs, and that's why I mean, find out what your PM superpower is. Find out how you're going to make a difference as a product manager. Right. What does your PM superpower do? That would be my advice, and be able to talk through that in an interview, and be able to say, when they say, when they say to you, why do you want this role? Why should we hire you? Oh, hi, you should hire me because here's my PM superpower, and here's how my PM superpower will change your organization, right? Um, remember I kept saying it's a humbling role? Well, when I was interviewing right at PayPal, one thing they kept, they kept saying to me, why do you want to work here? And I would say, oh, PayPal is super big. It is so, it's global. It doesn't need me. But I want to be able to work on projects where I get to add to the footprint of PayPal, plain and simple. And how do I do that? By using my PM superpower. So that would be my advice to any, any aspiring PMs listening to this, figure out what your superpower is. So. I, I guess I assume you've interviewed a lot of folks, right? <laughs> um, what, you know, what are the three traits that you would look for in a candidate? Um, humility, right? Um, are they collaborative? Meaning, especially with us working from home, people are super busy. Do you, does that, is that, is a PM somebody that would say, oh, I reached out to this team, they never got back to me, that's the end of it, right? Or will that person be, um, like, will that person be a go-getter? And they'll go, you know what, I'm going to slack this person and see when they're available, right? Um, those are the things I look for. I look for someone who has humility, someone who can check their ego at the door and be collaborative and want to work with everybody. And also the relationship with, um, and part of that includes the relationship with design, by the way, and the, the three in a box and the tech lead. Is it, are they somebody who just feel like, oh, I can go figure all this out myself and I'll come back and communicate it to you? Or do they feel like they can go with their box, right? The other thing I look for is, um, this is super important, strategic versus tactical. If a PM is just very strategic and that's it, that, that's not an ideal candidate for me because you need to be both. You need to be both tactical and strategic. Meaning that the strategic, you need to get, you need to make sure that you have the buy-in. I call it the village, the buy-in of the village, right? Your tech lead, your design, your scrum team, your cross-functional team, your leadership, your stakeholders, your PMM and so forth. You need to have all their buy-ins, right? For that, for the strategic vision, right? For what you're building. But then the engineering team and your cross-functional team are going to come to you with the most minute detail. And if you don't know what your strategic is, how can you then answer their questions for tactical? 
right? So they kind of feed into each other, right? And your scrum team, they're going to want to know what your street, what your, what the strategy is because they're building this, right? They, you want them to know that because you want them to know, hey guys, guess what? After we're done building the six months later, we're going to build this. And here's how all these are intertwined. That way they can also plan. So I look for that too, is if the person is really only too tactical, not great. If they're only too strategic, not great. You need the, I'm looking for an idea, you're looking for an ideal candidate that can be both. Great. So, so is there any projects or way that, you know, college students can leverage their resources on campus to kind of be this both strategic and tactic person? I would say that if you get I know that a lot of college students apply to intern internship programs, not just PayPal or other companies. Uh, I would say there, that's where you can really do it, right? Because my understanding is, I mean, I know PayPal, for instance, when you are a, an intern, you are with, we do, you have a scrum team that you work with and that's your opportunity. You also have a senior PM that you work with. So that's your opportunity to kind of be both strategic and tactical. I would say if you can get an, if you get an intern role, that's a wonderful opportunity to do it. Um, the only other way is basically pretend, um, pretend you're a PM. I mean, build, look for, look for, look for um, a great example. Starbucks app is one of my favorite apps and I use it every single day. Um, there are things on the Starbucks app that I would add. So take a look as a PM and figure out what is it on the Starbucks app? What features would you add and why would you add it? And then uh, like, what is the, what is the business goal? What is the customer objective, uh, uh, customer value that you would provide to Starbucks? Understand the back, the backstop um, value proposition, right? Uh, understand why they're not charging for things in their app. And then kind of walk through building that functionality. And then imagine what questions your technical, your scrum team would ask you, right? Imagine that, right? Or do it the same thing for Apple and kind of put yourself in, in that shoe of a PM who's in the middle of building this functionality for Starbucks and think about what questions, you know, or better yet, if you are really good friends with an engineer, provide them <laughs> your information, your business case, and then have them kind of come to you with all the, all the tactical questions that they would have. That's another great way to practice. Awesome, awesome. Um, so uh, I guess getting back to the interview part of things, um, what, what's one of your favorite questions to ask in interviews? Um, have you ever failed? Have you ever worked on a product that failed? And what did you learn from it? Believe it or not, I actually, <laughs> so I cannot tell you how many times I'm always disappointed when someone doesn't answer that question well in an interview because we've all failed, right? We've all worked on something, we've all failed and you know, and you learn from it. And I've had some PMs tell me, oh, well, it was the product manager's fault. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, come on, <laughs> right? I've had people tell me, oh, I've never failed on a product that I worked on. <laughs> I know, right? And, um, and I always ask that question because he tells me a couple of things, right? He tells me whether or not you can check your ego. He tells me whether or not you have humility. It tells me whether or not you're going to blame somebody else, right? And I've had people, bl most times I've had people blame their product manager. Isn't that something? Right. Or they'll blame the engineering lead or they'll blame the design counterpart. Oh, design didn't do it. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> so yeah, that's one question. Every time I ask it, oh, and I really get a, I really get an honest answer. Uh, I always usually just get some fluffy answer, but I think PM should be able to answer that question. What product did you work? What have you ever worked on a product that failed? We've all done it. Microsoft has done it. Apple has done it. Google has done it. And you learn from it. And what do you learn from it? And how do you take those lessons into every other, every other product that you build um, or any other company that you go to work for? Uh, and, um, you know, <laughs> remember again, I mentioned your PM superpower. That there is where you tie in your PM superpower and say, oh, I worked on this product, it failed. Here's what I learned from it. And how, here's how it now drives what I do. And here's how it, and here's how it and my superpower you know, came from or something like that. So um, about, you know, career choice, um, you know, obviously you've worked at a small company, a small startup, and, and now at a super big, you know, PayPal, right? Um, so if you were, if you have the opportunity to start again out of college, um, would you pick a big company or a startup? So I've, I've been lucky. I've had all of it all. I've had big, small startup. I've had 
um, what I would look for is this. If I had it over to do again, here's what I would look for. Uh, regardless whether they were big or small, I would look for whether or not they were engineering-led or customer-focused. There's a difference, right? If an, if a, if a organization is engineering-led, then it means that the customer needs are not going to be front and center. If the organization is customer-focused, the customer needs are front and center. It means that they are customer-obsessed. And it means that then I can be a PM that, um, that, is, that is customer first approach, right, in everything. Um, engineering led organizations I've worked for, I, didn't, I did not like it. I prefer customer focused organizations. And it doesn't matter whether they're big or small. If they're just customer focused, it's a big win for me because it means that I'm building the right thing for the customers. If they're engineering led, where's the customer's needs? Then I'm front and center. According to me, that's just my, my, you know, that's just my experience. It could be different for other people, but those are the things that if I had to do over again, I would uh, kind of think through my decisions and where I worked and whether or not it was the right, it was the right fit for me. So, because I'm a I'm very customer driven. How do you determine whether a company is customer driven or engineering driven? Uh, is it by talking to folks or just looking at their webpage? <laughs> Uh, in hindsight, if I had it over to do again, and I was um, more, and because I'm very customer obsessed, I would take the time to talk to other product managers in their organization and engineers in their organization. You can tell right away when you talk to, you know, after, if you know you're thinking about joining an organization, always ask to speak to somebody there. Um, you know, and also not only that, but it also, there are two reasons why I learned that lesson. One is diversity is really important to me in organization. Uh, inclusion is. I've worked in organizations where I didn't do enough of my due diligence, and I was, and I end up in situations where diversity wasn't. There just wasn't enough diversity there. So, in hindsight, what I would have done is I would have asked to speak with an engineer, a product manager, um, not just HR and the hiring manager, because then you can kind of see, right? When you talk to a lead engineer, you can see whether or not, okay, is this, is this somebody who's going to listen to me when I bring them requirements? Is this somebody who I can bring with me into the room with a customer and they care and they want to know why the customer needs this feature? Or is this somebody that doesn't care? You'll know when you talk to them. So my, my recommendation there is figure out where you want to work, figure out which is the best fit for you. If you are customer focused and it's an engineering led organization, it's not a good fit, right? But if it's a customer focused organization and you are customer driven, it's a great fit, but I would still talk to people there. Mm -hmm. Awesome, awesome. So uh, now we're moving towards the third part, um, which is, you know, resources. Anything you would recommend for aspiring product managers? This could be YouTube videos, Netflix, or just books and stuff. Um, I recommend Product School. Uh, Product School has certification programs, which I looked at the curriculum. It's pretty cool. Uh, I recommend Product School. Uh, and also, I say that because I'm kind of biased and I really like Product School. <laughs> and I'm going to be teaching a product management course in October, so that's why. <laughs> so, you know, in hindsight. So I just want to mention that. Um, I'm sure most PMs know who Ken Norton is. Uh, Ken Norton has a, I saw him do, um, do this product talk live in 2016. It's called Make Yourself Uncomfortable. Uh, if you get a chance, Google it. I believe it's on YouTube. It's on Mind the Product's website. Look for Ken Norton, Make Yourself, uh, Product Managers Make Yourself Uncomfortable. He's right. If you are not making yourself uncomfortable, you are not growing as a PM. I still make myself uncomfortable. Yesterday, I was uncomfortable. So, so but it made me a better PM. <laughs> you need to be uncomfortable. Um, so I, I definitely recommend people should look at that one. And then there is another one, um, also by um, Mind the Product. It's by David Washa. It's 20 years of product management in 25 minutes. And Dave literally goes through and talks about how if he could go back and tell his younger self, <laughs> you know what we did you know all the things that he would say i love it because it's so funny there was a uh he had a picture of a character on fire about to throw themselves outside the building i thought that was great because i feel like that on most days <laughs> just like, i recommend that um no I, I recommend that and then of course conferences um mind the product women in product grace hopper if you are a woman and you are aspiring PM, oh man, Grace Hopper, 20,000 women in one place, 
outstanding. Uh, I know that that was pre-COVID. I know they're doing those conferences virtually now. I recommend those. And then for books, um, Marty Kagan, of course, uh, inspired. And then, of course, um, Richard Banfield, Product Leadership, How Product Managers Launch Awesome Products. The other thing I, because if you recall, I, I mentioned that pr great product managers build people and products, right? So I think leadership skills are really important. How to work with people, right? I think, so if you, uh, I don't know if you had a chance to, to read my blogs. A lot of my blogs and product talks really focus on soft skills, right? I think as a PM, you can learn how to write stories. You can learn the hard skills, right? But the soft skills aren't thought, right? The soft skills of how do I bring a whole bunch of people with me <laughs> to buy into my product vision and, and help build things. And that's why I mentioned earlier about building people and products. And I think that's where leadership really helps. So I recommend leadership books. Um, you know, I am a big fan of reading books like Who Moved My Cheese? Uh, Steve Jobs books uh, by Walter Isaacson is, is a really great one. Um, Doris Kearns Goodwin, Team of Rivals. Um, another really great book, it talks about how you can work with people that, you know, are not your fan, <laughs> but you can still work with them. Um, and I always say this to people, everybody has the best intention of your organization in mind. No one wakes up in the morning and says, oh, I'm gonna do this wrong thing, right? No one does that. Everybody has the best intention. It's just we all execute differently. So how do I get to understand why you're executing a different way and I'm executing a different way? And we all have to execute differently because that's what makes the organization great. It's not because one person is doing something that they shouldn't be doing. And so really tapping into those leadership skills, I think, are important because then it makes you stand out as a PM. And then your leadership begins to look at you as that PM that they see that could eventually lead a whole entire organization. Um, so, you know, for the last part, it's going to be a, more like a lighting round where, you know, I ask the same question to everyone. <laughs> um, so what's your short term or long term goal? So um, let me ask a long term first. <laughs> so long term, I, I, I love writing blogs. I love doing product talks. So I'm going to continue to do those long term. Uh, I, I want to continue to aspire, uh, do inspire um, aspiring uh, product managers. Um, I'm having, um, I, I love doing those because after each session, I get like a bunch of PM, um, aspiring PMs who ping me. They want to know, you know, they, they want to know what I think about this. They're asking me feedback. And I remember what it's like to be, you know, that young when you're starting out. So long term, I'll continue to do that. And of course, working at PayPal, I love what I get to do at PayPal. Um, one of the reasons why I love working at PayPal is, um, being financially, um, having financial services be available to not just the comfortable but the not the folks that are not comfortable is something that's really important to me uh it's a value that i share um fin uh, democrat democratizing financial services so long term i absolutely still see myself at paypal uh that's the long that those are the long terms the short term right now um i i would say is trying to figure out how i'm going to uh, navigate the long term i know it's a weird answer but i'm trying to figure out how to do both how to inspire young up and coming PMs, um, build best, uh, also develop best in class product managers for PayPal and still do that while writing blogs and, and doing my real work and stuff like that. So I'm trying to figure that out as well. I know it's not a, it's not the answer you're really looking for, but that's sort of where I am right now is where I marry, where I'm going to marry my passion right now for product management and long term. And what gets you excited these days? So remember I mentioned how every PM should have their superpower? That excites me. Every single day when I wake up, the first thing I think of is what I'm going to do today, right? Because again, PayPal's values aligns with mine, right? Democratizing financial services. So I always think about my project that I'm working on, the impact on the customers that are going to use it, and the importance of getting that right, of solving their problem. So that gets me up every single day when I get up is, okay, how am I going to navigate today? What problems do I need to solve today? And how am I going to use my PM superpower to do it? Who do I need to reach out to? So usually that's what the first thing I think of when I wake up is, okay, what do I need today and how do I need to do it? What do I need today and how do I need to do it? So, What's your favorite consumer-facing product? Starbucks app. 
Um, well, so because I love the Starbucks app so much, I actually did research on them. <laughs> and also when I was doing my MBA, uh, all my papers I pretty much did on Starbucks. Um, I just really liked, I liked their story. I like the fact that the CEO of the former CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz, my favorite thing, my favorite quote from him is, I'm in the people business. I just happen to sell coffee. Right? He's a he knows I mean he, that right there. I mean, just think about that and you're like, yeah, he gets it. <laughs> right? And what their value proposition is. It's that third place and how they've invested in digital engagement way up, way beyond, way, way, way before the rest of us, right? Some of us anyway, especially because we weren't thinking about COVID, right? But before that, they were already investing in their digital, in their digital presence because they know that people just want to get their coffee and go. Um, so I would say Starbucks because every, also every time I use it, I think of other ways I can improve it too. So Awesome. Uh, one last question. What's a mediocre superpower you, that you wish to have? <sighs> the ability to read people's mind. Oh, I would love that. Especially because we're working from home these days and you know, there are times when I have like meetings where I have like 20 people on a call and you don't really, I don't know what they're thinking. I mean, I'm doing a presentation and as, as you know, we, I mean, again, this is why I talk about the people skills part, right? Is that, um, and being inter, and being interpersonal uh, effectiveness and how it's important is that, well, like people have things going on, right? Like people have kids, the kids are, you know, and I think it's great when your kids run into the room while you're in the middle of a meeting. I actually think it's awesome because I think you humanizes the person. <laughs> you get to meet them, you get to see that side of them, right? But, um, but being able to figure out what's going on with them, right? Being able to understand right in, in this moment, as we're having this workshop, as we're having this meeting, are they here with me or are they really somewhere else? Right. And then I'm sure you've heard of the, um, um, the, the, I think there's a study out there, right? That people tune in in the beginning of a conversation, they tune out in the middle and then they tune back in, in the end. And so knowing that I tend to end every single meeting with, okay, so here are my takeaways. So, 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 so person, you're going to do this. So, so person, you're going to do this and I'm going to do this because I so I, because of that human component, right? Which was, we have so much going on. We're working from home. My favorite is when my colleagues call me from their bathroom because <laughs> that's the only place they can call me. Um, so being able to tap it, I wish I could read their mind and figure out, you know, are you, you know, is this right time to have this mini? Should I call you back later? Like what's going on with you? Um, where can our listeners reach you on the internet? If that's something you're open to. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you can just, you know, find me on LinkedIn, Ronky Magic Adumi. Uh, I'm also product school. I have a lot of blogs on product school and product talks on product school, upcoming ones. Um, there's a new, there's an upcoming product school talk that I'm doing, um, which I'm super, super excited. It's characteristics of great product managers. I get to cover a lot of um, what we've talked about today, the importance of building people and products and how you do that, the importance of over communicate. PMs are evangelists. We have to evangelize our products. We have to over communicate. So uh, I'll be doing that. And of course, I'm on Twitter as well. People can find me on Twitter. Great. Um, for the ones listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, the books and resources mentioned in the episode will be attached in the show notes on the landing page. Feel free to check it out, subscribe, or leave a comment so that I can improve and produce better content for you. All right, listeners, thank you so much. See you next time.